welcome to Step Up, a podcast series brought to you by Tia Fan South Sudan, featuring inspiring conversations about the youth and for the youth in South Sudan and beyond to encourage and engage them to transform their lives and that of their communities. This is episode three of Step Up, and in this two-part edition, we shall be highlighting the impact of climate change in the context of South Sudan and what some young people are already doing about it in terms of adaptation, mitigation, and climate resilience. We shall also be talking about what you, as a young person, can do to stop or at least minimize the impact of this global crisis. My name is Rosemary Wilfred. I'm the Media and Communication Manager at TFN South Sudan. I'll be your host for this conversation. Step up. Inspiring young minds. So to begin with, let's talk about climate change in South Sudan and the role of young people in adaptation, mitigation and building climate resilience among affected communities. Now, climate change is one of the most critical challenges of our time, which requires action against it globally. In South Sudan, recent events have insistently demonstrated that our vulnerability to climate-related disasters has increased considerably in the past few years, manifesting in extreme weather conditions such as increased temperatures, droughts, and flooding. For instance, in mid-2019, South Sudan experienced what experts described as the worst floods in the country's history, affecting more than one million people from all 10 states, according to official statistics from the United Nations. People lost homes, livelihoods, and shelter, and got exposed to deadly diseases. Schools, roads, health centers, and other useful forms of infrastructure have been destroyed. This has aggravated an already precarious situation of the country as it battles conflict, food insecurity, poverty, and a high rate of malnutrition, especially among children under five. So generally, climate change has increased levels of uncertainty about the future, and globally, young people are increasingly aware of the challenges and risks presented by this global crisis. And why is that? Because young people are not only victims of climate change, but they are also valuable contributors to climate action. So how can South Sudanese youth contribute to stopping or at least minimizing the effects of climate change in this country? Well, definitely a lot needs to be done. However, I came across a group of young people who have taken it upon themselves to help their community in Bentu, that's in Unity State. This is one of the worst hit states in the country when the flood started. And today, their team leader joins us to tell us more about their work and what we can learn from them. Welcome, Ioannis. It's a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Tell me briefly about yourself and your campaign group. Thank you so much, Rosemary. Uh, my name is Thor Ioannis. I'm the Executive Director for Climate Change, Adaptation and Smart Actions. It's a civil society organization and it's a youth-led organization based in Unity State uh, with our head office here in Juba. Climate Change, Adaptation and Smart Action works with community that are affected by disasters to build their resilience and adaptation and to make them be self-reliant and be able to respond to climate change or climate effects. 
Thank you very much. Uh, I understand that in the context of South Sudan, many of the places in the country have really been severely impacted by climate change. And it's reasonable for you and your team to think about an action like this. But can you tell me one thing that really inspired you to create a working group to advocate for the mitigation of the impact of climate change? Uh, I've witnessed people's uh, affected by climate change or by some of the disasters or events in South Sudan. South Sudan is one of the countries that is uh, very much hit by these events. This includes flooding, temperature rise, and droughts. All this I've seen capacity of uh, South Sudanese people. The community is too low. They are unable to respond. So we, we have seen use are very energetic in an event like drought, like flooding, more especially in Upper Nile. We have seen most use are helping community in constructing die to protect their community from this event. So we say if we can form a platform where this use can work, this use can now uh, interchange ideas with the policy makers, they can be able now to do on their own. And that's the reason is why CASA was funded. So what are some of the activities at the moment that you're carrying out as this advocacy group? As an advocacy group, we mostly uh, advocate on policy making. For now, we engage with the Ministry of Environment we are engaging with Ministry of uh, Humanitarian Affairs and Disaster Management to create awareness, especially during the days of disaster risk reduction every year, and environmental awareness every year in June. And also we are engaging youth on livelihood to build their resilience. And this livelihood, like businesses, like artisan skills, so that they are able to be resilient and self-reliant. We also work with community leaders and women and school children. In community leaders, we form what we call community disaster management committees. This community disaster management committee are able to identify risk through participatory meetings. After identifying the risks, then they inform the authority about the risk and what needs to be done. And this is helping community a lot because we are using local knowledge. You also mentioned that you work a lot in schools. What do you exactly tell the school children? In, in, in school, we have what is called integrated risk management. This integrated risk management where school children are able to identify the risk in the school. And mostly we worked on issues of ecosystem restoration and management in schools, where school children will come up with how they can preserve their soil in their school. Maybe they come up with a plan of planting trees, or a school may come up with a plan of uh, having a school garden. We are also engaging them in some drama activities where they talk about climate change 
and, and also counseling to children that are affected in Unity State. How do you engage the youth to carry out this activity and have a shared objective? We engage youth through Ministry of Youth, Culture and Sport, also through the local structures that are existing, and we organize them. They come with a kind of a body, a platform, where youth are able to develop their adaptation plans. And these adaptation plans is a way of you know, involving other people, like women and children, and see their views. And thereafter, they engage with their policymakers, the MPs, the, the, the ministers, and the rest. When they engage, they will tell to their policymakers, decision makers. And of course, it's very helpful because we have seen now youth are being put in the center of decision making, center of learning, because they have engaged their leaders locally. And everybody is benefiting and they are happy. So far, you mentioned the number of activities, which are really very impressive, and I think that if carried out at a larger scale, can even support many other areas that are prone to these uh, climate-related disasters. But what major success can you talk about at this point? At this point, we I, I want to tell you one thing. Uh, with our engagement with the community leaders, where community leaders are able to identify the risk around their villages and inform any actor or the, the county leader or the county commission. Up to now, you will find some people are still in their payam because the community leaders engage with their county leaders, involved youth, after identifying the risk of flooding, they are able to construct dike around their fire. Before and the actual before flooding. Before the actual flooding. Mm -hmm. And you find people are still in their surrounding, carry their activities normal. Though they are surrounded by water, but they still they are in their houses. And this is very helpful because they identify the risk early on before it hit harder. Right. Can you tell me one story of a person or a family that has been severely affected that you personally witnessed? What was it like and what was the scale of impact of this climate disaster on that person or the household? Uh, thank you. It's heartbreaking. And maybe for people who have not seen how flooding is, it is something that comes just abruptly. People are not prepared because there is no early warning system in place. People who are much affected are women. I uh, will tell you one story about a certain woman who was affected in her village. She lost her husband some years back. She has five children and she has ten goods. When the flooding swept her village, other people were able to evacuate. She was stranded for two days in her house with the children. And she could not move. She doesn't have canoe because people were evacuating using canoe. 
others who managed to get plastic sheet, they will fold it, put all their belongings, household belongings, on the plastic sheet, the children, the dogs, the goods, and they push until they get drier area to settle. But this woman could not get a plastic sheet, could not get a canoe, could not get any other elva, except RRC uh, staff in Gwit County. That's the Relief and Rehabilitation, Rehabilitation. Commission. Informed one of our volunteers who was trained on disaster management. And this community leader sent some youth to rescue the women. They took to her some food, some biscuits, and carry on shoulder her children. And they found most of her goods died. They drowned. They drowned. So this is heartbreaking. And it, it clearly shows the severity of flooding in these areas. And also lack of early warning and lack of response strategies from the authority. Right. You talked about how you're collaborating with the ministry. How far have you discussed the issue of early warning and the importance of having a structure or a policy like that in place? Uh, currently, I'm glad we have policies in place. You know, in, uh, in South Sudan, we have NAPA, the National Adaptation Plan for Action. If implemented, would be helpful. The government also has disaster management policies in place. And if implemented, would be helpful. So we, we are engaging with these respective ministries, line ministries, to see into it that the policies are implemented and to see into it that we create awareness to our mass population. And I, I want to tell you that South Sudan is one of the signatory to Sendai framework. This Sendai framework is about disaster risk reduction. And when we talk of disaster risk reduction, we want to put forward about early warning system, which of course is there, but we don't have it. Most of the pockets that we get are from uh, the region, Kenya. They are not holistic enough. We want to see into it that we have functioning meteorological department that have uh, concrete uh, climate information and is feeding our people with information so that all actors that are designing projects will design them based on the context of South Sudan and the data in place. So uh, we use the space like uh, International Disaster Risk Reduction Day, uh, which is carried out every October yearly to, to create this awareness, to engage with the ministry of the environment to see into it that disaster is reduction or Sendai framework policy is implemented. Again, South Sudan government also is a, a signatory to Faris Agreement on climate change. So all these are international policies and they, they are also backing up our national policies on climate change. But of course, 
we see into it that the implementing this policy or creating action is not about government alone. We can contribute individually. What are some of the lessons you feel other youth groups in other areas can learn to be able to minimize the impact of these uh, disasters? Thank you so much. Um, in South Sudan right now, because of the complexity of the risk, we want to see everybody get involved, advocating in his own way or her own way, to make sure that risks are minimized. Use are the tool of change. And the process of creating a healthy environment starts with this use right here, right now. And with this reason, I want to see youth get involved, advocate for their community. Don't wait until somebody comes with a project. Please, we want to see most youth engaging their communities, explaining to them what is happening. I know it is not our fault as South Sudan, let me say, because we contribute the least of carbon dioxide, but we are much hit because we don't have the capacity. Once you don't have the capacity, there is vulnerability. So in other locations, I know in Eastern Equatoria, we have this drought, and I want to see youth are in innovative enough to initiate some activities locally using local knowledge and local resources. In Jongle, you know, now the effect of climate change has caused sideline effects related to climate change. Now there is conflict, gender inequality, hunger, livelihoods are lost. With this, we need to work right now. And this starts with youth before you engage policymakers. Uh, youth in the village, they need to be innovative, engage in entrepreneurship. You know, climate challenges can be turned to opportunities. For example, during dry season, if you get a canoe, during flooding, you will use this canoe to transport people. In the process, you are saving lives. And again, you are getting money to evacuate people. So you use this challenge as an opportunity and saving lives. We also want to see youth engaging in smart agriculture. Even if you don't have a larger piece of land, could you just have a vegetable garden? This can support your family. We want also to see youth to be peace builders because peace itself is the blood of everything. We can do development, we can have hospitals, we can have roads, we can have all to mention. But if there is no peace, just in one minute, we can bring down this hospital. In two minutes, we can destroy these roads. It is just like a body. Once in your body, you don't have blood, that's enough reason for you to die. So if we don't have peace, all that we are doing are nothing. So we want youth to engage in peace building. We want to see productive youth, useful youth in their community. Thank you very much. Is there anything else you'd like to add as a general comment just to conclude this conversation? Uh, for now, South Sudan is at risk. There is conflict, there is drought, variability of rainfall, there is flooding. And above all, there is anger. And all of them, they created scarcity of resources. 
because people are scrambling over the little resource that we have. So we want to send message to policymakers that please involve community in decision making. Please put the youth in the center of the policies making. And again, create opportunities for people to engage. Maybe the policymakers can engage with their community leaders in the village. And we want to see an established early warning system. This time, South Sudan is part of the world and technology is being used over, over the world. So technology can be used, our telecommunication system here to educate our mass population and give them right information about climate. And also to address conflict, there should be youth empowerment so that youth are engaged in productive activities than fighting. And my last message, we have been experiencing flooding for the last four years now. And I know there has nothing much done to rescue the people that are living in most of the affected areas. Now is dry season. There is need to send in support before the flooding get worse. From January to May, maybe there must be preposition of life-serving equipment. For example, we can the government or the actors can now send in medicines to uh, higher grounds where people are stranded in. There should be speed boots in those places put in place by county authority so that when people are stranded, they are rescued. And people who are stranded in higher grounds are sent medicine because they are stranded with their loved one, uh, livestock and all this, but they don't have a means to rescue them to places that they can save their lives. So we want to send this message so that from January to March to, to May is a preparatory season where now the authority can prepare and save lives when things get worse. Step up, inspiring young minds. That was Thor Ioannis, the team leader of a youth advocacy group, Climate Change Adaptation and Smart Action. So from our conversation, you may have already gathered that indeed, young people can help stop this global crisis or at least minimize its impact in their own simple yet purposeful ways, just the way Ioannis and his peers are doing in Bentiu in the United States. And as a young person, you can do the same. You can also support this noble cause through many other ways, such as joining environmental organizations or groups, participating in various schools or community programs and projects against climate change. For example, you can start by joining a cleanup drive at school or in the community. You can participate in tree planting or go green activities. You can be part of a garbage picking or recycling initiatives, get involved in environmental campaigns, you can as well use your social media handles such as Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram in promoting climate change and environmental awareness to the public. Because today, we should realize that we have a moral responsibility towards our environment. Stopping climate change is not easy, but if we work together as one, our micro efforts will have a macro effect on our environment and our planet. So let us act now. 
Let us be involved in this fight. Step up, inspiring young minds. Well, with that, we've come to the end of this edition of episode three of Step Up Podcast on climate change, adaptation, mitigation, and climate resilience. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join us again in the next episode.